0: My name is Michael Strumsky, and this is my podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. Each episode, I'll interview a person with a different background to try to understand what circumstances, family, or tragedy has made them into the individual they are today. Enjoy. I've got Kyle Cromer with us, uh, live from the West Coast. Uh, San Fran, right? uh I'm in Palo Alto right now. Palo Alto. Okay. I always see Palo Alto. That's my that's not Microsoft's like headquarters is it? Uh I think
1: Apple's the one who's like designed in yes. Palo Alto.
0: No, no, you're right because I've seen that on uh I think that's what they have for their like time. You know how like they like to keep everything local. Yep, yeah. So they'll say oh Palo Alto time. Yeah. Okay. Um and I know you through my good friend Craig Cromer. Yeah. Um Start me off on. I guess um, you are from Augusta County, just like I think two other people: Christian Piles and Dave Thomas. Kara Piles has lived in Augusta County, but you were born and raised, and you are the oldest of four boys.
1: Yep, um, on a farm, right? That's exactly right. So I'm keeping in the theme with Augusta County. With you, also grew up in Churchville. Um, went to Buffalo Gap. My mom was a teacher at Buffalo Gap for a time. She taught Craig, not me, um, but she taught some of my friends who were a little bit younger. My dad's a large animal and small animal veterinarian, probably pretty well known through the county uh, and even outside it, just because it's the place that does so much business. And it's the place that my grandfather was one of the founders for, Westwood Animal Hospital. So everybody from Augusta County who has animals probably knows it. Um, and so that was... You know, we grew up in this cattle farm, and I think that was a really important part of my childhood. I can get into it even more lately, like later on in the podcast, just how it kind of gave me my interests um, through cattle, all these like real world examples of genetics. and And then also as a kid, too, like you're brought right in contact with kind of the hard facts of life. Like Mother Nature can be pretty brutal, like cows die in all sorts of ways. I'm not going to go into details specifically about that stuff, but it's like even over Christmas break, this last Christmas, my mom's favorite cow died in the snow. Like it was just it's kind of brutal. But yeah, also, I, just, I don't know. It my parents still love it. My mom still says like there's more positive than negative. That's why they still have cows. And so kind of approaching it with this like stoic mindset that I've always loved. Um, and then from there I went to Virginia Tech, wanting to at first study, you know, I was doing pre-vet. I wanted to be a veterinarian. It's the job that I knew through helping out on the farm and really becoming pretty passionate about cattle. Um, But about halfway through, you know, there are these like quality of life considerations. Um, You know, I saw my dad like go out in the middle of the night all the time during calving season to help a cow calve. And it's a really hard life, very physical. They say like at some point you will get injured. And every large animal vet that I know that's been in the profession a while, has gotten injured pretty badly on the job before. Um, and at that same time, I, I got into a research lab at Virginia Tech, and holding pipettes is a lot easier and not so backbreaking as making farm calls. And I, it also kind of teased the part of my brain that I really enjoyed, like it's problem solving, you know, in a way that like veterinary medicine is problem solving. Um, but it felt kind of quality of life. I kind of liked it. I liked the idea that you you know these efforts can make big impacts many years down the road um and so it just kind of hooked me from there and then i went to grad school and it's been on in human genetics so that took me away from pre-vet and it's been on that path ever since now that you mentioned that i came up with an idea
0: like do you think of yourself as kind of like do you get into discussions with your father that like this would be much better if we had just like uh push this trait out of the cow and then we wouldn't have to worry about it. Do you have like anything like that discussion with him or is it nothing like that?
1: So we talked a few years ago. I like I'd had people when they when they realized that I'm doing like DNA editing, they're like, you know what you should work on? You should try to get rid of Pink Eye because I lose so many calves to pink eye. Um, you know, it's always a problem every single springtime and stuff. And so my dad and I kind of workshopped this idea. Um bovine viral diarrhea B V D was something that you know when when you're hammer everything looks like a nail. And so I see a problem and I'm like, oh, you could DNA edit to you know help solve that. And so we kind of workshopped an idea that I I tried some different experiments in the lab to get towards the idea, and it it was just it just didn't work. Not because I think not because the idea wasn't good, but it's just that. It takes so much effort to bring new things into your toolbox, thinking about these DNA editing you know enzymes, they're little molecular machines, and we're starting to think about it as engineering or a toolbox, and it's really tough to take something somebody else published and bring it into your toolbox um mm-hmm. if somebody you if if you're not getting your tools from somebody that you know who has worked on this stuff before, it's really hard to like learn the rules of them that was the reason it didn't go anywhere. I gotcha. But yeah, and we did. The, the funny way. And
0: by the way, I think I incorrectly introduced you, didn't I? Isn't it Dr. Kyle Cromer?
1: Uh, I can't do CPR and I can't write prescriptions. So I think um, you can stick with Kyle as you want. <laughs> okay. Humble. But, I gotcha. But it's, but it's fine. Um,
0: What was I going to say? Um, so Uh, touching upon kind of like uh the same vibe as christian you know how i i even think christian referenced you indirectly talking about uh having some ivy league uh people um i I don't know anybody else but um because i know you you've doubt i can't even list your resume but it basically has harvard and yale all over it and berkeley as well Uh, is
1: that right I'm, I'm at Stanford now, but it's, it's a postdoctoral training. So it's like just more, it's just a full-time research job at this point. You know, I just lead research projects under the, in the lab of a professor here. It's
0: curious, you say
1: just lead research plans, like just as like a small thing. Well, it's it's not like I'm teaching classes and not treating patients. It, you know, it is, even though it's considered more training, it, it looks Mm -hmm. a lot like other jobs that people have in research. So,
0: Okay. And I guess kind of explain that, like, exactly, because I'm familiar with CRISPR, but I could probably not explain it to anybody else. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're molecular scissors, so it's just an enzyme that can cut DNA. It only cuts DNA, it doesn't cut anything else. And what it can do is at a at a broad level that this is not even oversimplifying it. It's just, this is the way I would explain it to anybody else. And, and there's so many people in biology that don't know what, if you don't use CRISPR, you might not know really, you wouldn't know how to simplify it. It's getting, it's changing a little bit now. I mean, it won a Nobel prize a couple of years ago. And I think it's like the technology has really disseminated throughout the entire space now. But the thing that it allows you to do is before CRISPR, we could read DNA as if it were a Microsoft Word document, and we knew what the typos, anything you'd pass on to your kids is just a typo in the DNA, it is. And we knew what those typos were for a very long time, even before the entire Human Genome Project. But really after the Human Genome Project, we know almost any simple disease, um, You know, one single mutation you would pass on to your kids, we know exactly what the typo is, And we know exactly what we'd want to change it back to to fix the typo in this Microsoft Word document. CRISPR gives us the ability to now edit the DNA as if we're a Microsoft Word document. And it's because these little molecular scissors, you can hand it pretty much a, I mean, we don't physically pass it to it. We combine them and just by its chemical properties, it will bind automatically to a piece of DNA that we just can give it. We can give it this DNA sequence, it will go find it throughout the entire human genome, throughout the entire DNA sequence you have in every single one of your cells, and it could go find exactly where that piece of DNA is that's a perfect match to these like 20 base pairs, and it'll cut it. It won't cut anywhere else for the most part. It'll only cut that region. And by cutting that place, we now can site specifically edit this huge long novel that is the genome just at the one typo. Because the tools before were so nonspecific we had scissors, but they would cut everything or nothing. And CRISPR is so specific that it could cut just one place in the genome. And it can, that, that now can allow us to just change the code in these places. And what, we're only scratching the surface on what we can do with it. And I know there's a lot of hype around CRISPR, but it's under It's one of these things that you get your hands on the tools and it's better than advertised. Just a matter of how much research can be
0: thrown at it and basically repetition and kind of methodical
1: kind of data logging just to keep it going from what you're trying to explain. Sun type pets to flesh out all the possibilities of it. it. It now allows us to think about DNA as a novel or computer code. And there are so many different ways that we can rewrite computer code i mean i talk about changing a typo back to what it should be so there's no typo but what you can do even beyond that is now write new code that has never existed before Uh, and so that's i think one of the real new frontiers for biology and medicine is to write new code that i mean only the way i think about it is only for disease purposes you know people hear new code and it's like are you trying to engineer super soldiers or something no we we actually don't know that much about the DNA, but as far as diseases go, I think this is the best use for rewriting some code um, mm-hmm. to compensate for disease causing mutations.
0: Best place to start. I mean, people want to get rid of diseases. It's not like, you, I mean, some people like exaggerating want blue eyes and not dirty brown eyes like mine. But um, where you're at now, and you graduated with uh, a bachelor's in animal science. Did you imagine you would be here from graduating?
1: Well, towards the end of animal science, when I started to get into a lab, I just wanted to do more and more of that research. And so I could start to see maybe that take shape. When I first started out, you know, I, I envisioned going to Westwood Animal Hospital, working with my dad, which is now what my youngest brother, Tom, does. Um, It's been a moving target. You know, there are these kids who say they knew since they were eight years old what they wanted to be. It's always been a moving target for me, but it's also like, you know, you get older and you start to know what you're good at and, um, you know, you start to know yourself uh, and what you like and don't like, you know, am I going to like, I think Craig loves treating patients and really getting to know people's stories. I kind of like putting in my headphones, listening to a podcast while I pipette a bunch of stuff um both things can be impactful and it's kind of knowing yourself to know what's a good fit and so yeah towards the end of the animal science degree i started to really want to take research further but i didn't know which way it would go i didn't know what my career afterwards would look like i just liked the industry itself doing something in biotech seemed like a great place where i could get a good job after grad school And I guess at some
0: point between, I guess, when you wanted to be a vet and work at uh, Westwood, you had to have a talk with your dad saying, like, I'm not going, I'm not going to be working for the family. Was there any, like, from what I've met with your father, he's a very easygoing guy as well. But was there any pressure from, I guess, granddad or him?
1: Well, so, I mean, this is a great question. When we were going over it, I didn't say because I wanted to save it for when we were talking about it. but. My dad, I think, was really pressured to take over the family business. He was the oldest son, and it was just kind of known from a young age that that was my grandparents' expectations of him is to take it over, whether it was exactly what he wanted to do or not. I mean, he's an amazing vet, but I think he had a lot of other interests uh, and I, that he would have been really great at. And I think if he were given the freedom, he might have found something else. And so I think he was really careful not to pressure any of us uh, to go that route unless we found it for ourselves. You know, there are going to be all these people that you grow up around who pat you on the back when you're eight years old and say, you want to be a vet just like your dad, right? And there's enough pressure kind of indirect from everybody else that's telling you that you want to do that. Um, And so I think my parents were really good at just saying, like, get an education, what you, you know. Doesn't matter so much what you study, maybe have an eye towards practicality in that. Science is a pretty good one. Um, hint, hint, but nothing really past that. And so we never had to have a sit down discussion. They also had three more chances at it after me. Yeah. So I don't think they were so worried about it. And we're also glad that Tom went into it. I think that's the brother yeah. that, if my dad could choose who to work with, Tom is the most easygoing. That's he got the best one of us to go into business with.
0: That's good. That's good. Cause I I was just thinking like, um, I guess a pattern I've noticed with a lot of people, like, for example, uh, my parents love to collect things and like pull up the house with stuff they don't need. So I'm a very minimalist on like gifts and stuff like that. And then I, I know like other people who, whose parents were like severe alcoholics. So they're like, severe like don't drink at all and i think it's just so funny how uh, like the next generation is like laissez-faire like just like your dad was um i guess some pressure put on him that he kind of did the exact opposite with you guys where it was kind of like i need help on the farm but i'm not i'm not going to force you guys to do anything and kind of just be happy which I i think is should always be. Always be the way that a parent should kind of gear their their children to what they want to do when they grow up, in my opinion. Um, But uh, no, that's interesting. And so, looking at your resume, I was like floored. I'd never seen so many pages. You've got you've got a career-wise, you've got patents, you've got all this stuff. You're working with your research. You've got your your PhD, non non medical uh i'm not gonna be asking for cpr um and but i thought the awesome part that you don't really see with people with such a like avid academic background is all these extracurriculars you have like marathon you've got um your art you've got your djing like i thought that was crazy just because i like i mean i I think i have a i have a decent career but the main thing i like to do is stuff like that like um and and i love that other people do that because whenever i see somebody who's just working on one niche and like they go home and just play video games or like like i have nothing against well i guess i do have people i i'm against those people just because it's just a stress reliever when i see like people playing video games but like if you like for example i'm trying to uh do hydroponics with my uh my yard with some of the like Vegetables and stuff like that. Cause I've never, I've never done that before. So I don't know. I, I like the idea of like learning on the side, something completely different than what you're doing now. Um, but yeah, like we were talking about before. Um, one big question I have for you is is this, is any of those hobbies ever going to replace
1: your career with genetics? Mm, no, no. Um, I mean, I, I love these things. Uh, Another thing that's great about science, you know, I mentioned like the quality of life stuff at the start of I'm not on call. You know, I'm not having to go out in the middle of the night to help a cow give birth. And that, you know, I do feel kind of validated in knowing that I did want a career that could allow me to have this a little bit of extra time to pursue the other things that I really like to do. I think that's one thing that is nice about research is you don't get you're not ever on call. You know you are at the mercy of your experiments a little bit in the timing but you know and sometimes it's inconvenient but it's never on that level that i've seen with my dad and i'm sure for my granddad to me i i don't i don't think it it can't take the place now um i i just i love the all of the CRISPR genome editing thinking about dna as computer code because it starts to be really creative And I think the more I've gotten towards this area, I think the research I was doing earlier on was not, I don't know, it just wasn't scratching that itch. And I kind of found other things to fill that space a little bit. And I think some of this other stuff now that starts to look like cell engineering, I'm so fascinated with the things I'm working on right now and the possibility in the future. More than ever in my life, I think about it a lot, even when I'm not at work. I know that's making me by definition, a less balanced person, but I still do find me, you know, running, it's a stress reliever. It's, you know, it it reminds you to get out in nature, get outside, get some sunlight, you know, break a sweat. I, there was a podcast with Matthew McConaughey and he said, you know, he kept a diary uh, of his life and just started to notice patterns in his mood and like, what was different on the days he felt good versus not? And he was like two patterns. I realized that I just need to feel right are sleep nine hours a night and break a sweat every day. And he's like, if I do those two things, I feel pretty good. And it's I I really like that. I I try to get enough sleep, probably eight or nine hours. I try to break a sweat. I haven't been doing so good a job at that lately, um, but I I try to get out there. And then the art is creative in a way that it's expression, I, and I. I have a very soft spot for that. I've always loved modern art. I love visual art. Um, the DJing, it started out with just trying to be better than an iPad on shuffle, an iPod on shuffle for Tom's wedding. I was like, would you mind if I I could probably do better than a phone on shuffle, right? And they're like, I think they were a little skeptical about what music I would play, but I reassured them that Tom and I would pick the playlist. Don't worry, I'm not gonna play anything crazy. And then from there. I just kind of dabbled.
0: <laughs> Why not? Like, it's your brother's wedding. What, what's the worst that could happen? You know what I mean? So to bring anagrams back into it, and especially actually what you just said, um, you got the anagram type eight, which is the challenger. Eights are self-confident, strong, and assertive, assertive protective, resourceful, straight-talking, and decisive. But can also be, but can also be egocentric and domineering. So is that? I I know. I know you said you went over this with your girlfriend, but uh, and and like I said, I I I assume that I know people based on like five conversations. But I don't. I don't see those negative traits um, to you at all. Um, Do you see? I guess both sides of that coin
1: see it a little bit i mean my girlfriend called me a crazy eight after i got one uh, after i did my test and then she did hers and she was a seven and it had all these like great people uh who are also sevens so there's dicaprio there's brad pitt they're just driven by i think you said you're a seven driven by curiosity you just have a lot of different interests but it's always healthy i i mean if if my brothers were able to have a say they would say that I got pretty neurotic about show cattle when I was younger and I think that that is a was maybe the worst aspect of that personality you know combined with like your teenage inexperience maybe it in my 20s a little bit I'm not probably a little bit I think I just lost sight of the bigger picture of like when you're at a cattle show shouldn't you have fun and have time to bond with your family instead I wanted to win and we never won And it was infuriating for me as a kid. And I feel like through that experience and then some maturity to be like, I can't, like that got to an unhealthy, ridiculous level. Let me tone it down a little bit. Let me, I don't know, have a little more perspective with what I spend my energies on and how wound up I get about it. And so, yeah, I think thinking of the show cattle, I'm an eight. I think I have learned to cope well with being an eight. Yeah. So
0: what they say is basic your basic fear for a type eight would be of being harmed or controlled by others and your basic desire is to protect themselves to be in control of their own life
1: and destiny. kind of like <laughs> you winning uh i didn't the, disagree after, i didn't disagree <laughs> after i got the test i was like yeah that all sounds about right
0: oh and then it says that you would disagree too no no i'm just joking <laughs> uh and then, yeah, it says want to be self-reliant to prove their strength and resist weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And then, like you said, the people that they have examples for, which I think is, I mean, I don't think these people actually did these. Uh, um, Paul Newman, I don't think it was around when Paul Newman was alive, although that's a very good one. Who doesn't love Paul Newman? I mean, did you know? All of his salad dressings, like they pro- all the profits, go to uh, charity. I yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's like one of those great feel-good businesses. Yeah, it's like before we found out about Tom's shoes. Yeah, um, Clint Eastwood. I mean, Donald Trump's on here. Uh, Aretha Franklin. I mean, it's got some good ones on here. I'll take it. Yeah, Gandhi. Oh and yeah, and then Saddam yeah. Hussein. Yeah, Pablo yeah, Picasso. you know, they're all, they're all good ones. But uh. Just to get back to the more personal questions. Um, what, what do you think you're bad at? Because on your resume, you have so many good things. I want to give me some things that you, you don't think you're, you're too good at. What do you,
1: where do you fall through the cracks? I mean, I played for my friends this weekend, DJing, and I was, I put down a bad set. There were moments where it was okay, but it was, yeah, it it was, that was not great. Um, I mean, there's so how many, many people things. how many people were there uh four counting me so it oh, was just, four, in, a, it was just that... in a living room i was just like playing around but it was like That's i was not trying too bad. i was trying to do a good job and i did a bad job um it had gone more smoothly for tom's wedding um i mean there oh i mean there are so were many you sweating things. were you
0: sweating at either Were you sweating at either instances? I was sweating at Tom's wedding because
1: like I couldn't do it bad. (laughs) Like I I just couldn't mess it up. Like there were, there were a lot more than four people there. And so I just wanted (laughs) to, and I'm taking a bunch of requests. Somebody's kind of coming up to me asking if I can play this song or that. I got to check to make sure there's no profanity and make sure I'm making everybody happy. And yeah, it was a little (laughs) Um, I mean, man, yeah, that does. Did you have fun? Oh, I've, I've had, I've always had, even when I was doing bad this weekend, I had a great time. So at least okay, there was that, that that's all that matters. I
0: but, just feel like you'd be stressed out at the wedding though.
1: <laughs> it ended up being so fun. Cause I got to throw in some of my own songs or ones that like I played toxic for B um, by Britney Spears. He, he personally requested that. And so at one point I caught his attention pointed up in the air and I, I let him know this next one was for him. Toxic, Britney Spears. That's my brother sounds good. And did anybody
0: come up to you like, what was that? What was that song right there that that you you played right there? Like,
1: did you get any of those like uh, after the wedding or during the wedding? Um, I got some teenage girls say that my playlist was a cliche list. So, <laughs> just because uh, I played like I did play some wedding songs. I mean, I, I'm I mean, sorry that I played I mean, some that's wedding normal. Songs. Though. So, um, but I mean, to get back to your question and in high school i wanted to be a professional baseball player i was terrible at baseball i only rolled rode the bench in jv i never even played varsity because i did eventually give up on that dream and before that i wanted it you know when i was playing little league football like it was my dream to play in the nfl and i that yeah i was not physically gifted in those ways and i and if you're happy with what you're doing now i mean i love I love what I'm doing now, and so I'm grateful that I wasn't physically gifted in a way that would have made me pursue that path. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, my the way that I convey like, you know, knowledge or the way that I think about things sometimes it's like through the scientific lens. And that some of the best advice I was given from uh, one of my mentors was keep a lot of irons in the fire in terms of scientific projects and ideas you're working on, and spend time on what's working. Uh, and I. It served me really well in science, and I think that's also just in a bigger way how I've found interests, you know, for, for distance running as I've just kind of engaged in it at, at an amateur level, but, you know, tried to see how far I could go and try to time myself and everything. You don't have to be six foot four in a way that you really do if you want to play in the NFL, and it's one of those things that I felt more capable with, and it was one of those irons in the fire that I got a little bit of encouragement And spend time on what's working. Oh, it's working for me, you know, relieving stress. And oh, the more I work at it, I am getting a little bit faster, as the clock says. And so, you know, for all of my interests, it was just things that I felt like I, I felt like of the many things that I would have liked to do, those were the ones that were working for me. And you did also qualify for the Boston
0: Marathon as well. Yeah. Was that your third race?
1: you know it was my third but i also um i didn't get to run it because of covid it got canceled so i ran a virtual one in palo alto oh, okay. with zero fans i think i called my grandma afterwards to just let her know that i just finished um it was to a lot less fanfare than the real boston marathon and right now like i've fallen off so much in terms of training or anything like I unfortunately don't think I'll ever hit times like that again. Um, mm-hmm. But it was, you know, I kind of set it out as a goal and I was really proud of myself. I feel like I might have done, you know, kind of permanent damage to my knees afterwards. Not so bad, but it like, it hurt to push it that far. And I think doing that many miles is like, it's just not good on your knees. So I kind of yeah. turned that down. That's That's what I've heard. Like, it's not,
0: well it's it probably bad on the knees but i've heard it's bad for the heart to kind of start like if you're gonna do it do it consistently yeah. but if you're gonna start and stop doing races like in and out of kind of kind of how actors i don't know if you're familiar with christian
1: christian Bale oh, yeah.
0: roles but he goes from like 250 pounds to like I, i've never seen the movie i've just seen the pictures of the machinist where he's like i don't know you can see like the detail of all his ribs and stuff like that that's just not healthy <laughs>
1: it's like from there to uh, batman to dick cheney yeah and back again it's yes I, that's who i was trying to think of
0: dick cheney because i remember he had a paunch at one time yeah yeah man i gotta watch that movie um yeah I, i've done a marathon and two things i realized like after so long like i mean you've got to throw all those long runs in so the the main things I I've noticed from that is you've got to get a good playlist. Depending on if it's podcasts, yeah, I can't do podcasts. I need like fast paced music like twenty four seven. and I don't know how people do it classical music and podcasts. Like I would just like go out of my mind if that was the case. Yeah. Um. And and then improving, like I had long shorts to start when I started doing it, and it just started like chafing like almost immediately and i was like you've got to improve your comfort if you're gonna do this for 26 miles yeah i don't know it was kind of eye-opening because i had only done
1: like 5ks and stuff like that so yeah speaking of chafing it was it was the race that i qualified for Boston marathon for it was this one in utah um it was 2,000 feet downhill so it's a good qualifier you know you're kind of running downhill ultimately um And so they had a bunch of different snacks, like bananas and gummies and everything right along the side of the road, like these little tiny cups of Gatorade and water. And they have these like energy packets that you pull open and squeeze out. But then you have like the trash and you get all this like energy goo, sugary goo all over your hands and your face. And so I saw at one of the stops, as I ran past, I was like, oh, they have these like these wooden tongue depressors full of the energy stuff. You know, it's that like clear looking like goop. And I was like, oh, that's such a good solution. I'm going to get one of those at the next stop. And so I ran by, get my Gatorade, and then I get one of these like wooden little tongue things and I eat it and I realize it's Vaseline to prevent chafing, but I'd already swallowed it. I was way off the mark for what they were actually useful for. I'm sure it'd be good against so- chafing, but you don't want to eat. I eat a, a mouthful of Vaseline. And everyone is thinking right now of that episode. I think it's uh,
0: season four, episode one. What is it? A uh, race for Radies awareness. When uh, what's his name's uh, nipples start chafing and they just start uh, bleeding
1: on, on the office? Was that uh, Andy, Andy or... Yeah, yeah, yep.
0: Yeah, <sighs> yeah. Mm. man. I hope. Yeah, that'll that'll never happen to me. Uh, so, just moving on. What has been your, I guess. Your big make or break moments—that's kind of like, uh, um, kind of push you towards where you're at now, like your career goals, Mm -hmm. or or strengthen your resolve. What have there been any of
1: those big moments? Yeah, Uh, I mean there there there's so many times, like just a chance meeting with somebody will change your entire path. For instance, this lab that I'm in at Stanford right now. I came to work in this lab because I ended up walking home out of the lab I was at as I was realizing i'm going to go to California, I have an interview set up, and there was one of these, these older guys in the lab who was a mentor to me, really amazing dude named Alex, and I was just about to get on my bike, but I saw Alex was leaving work at the same time, and I was in the process of transitioning to California, and we just talked you know about my future and everything on the walk home. And- He said oh if you're interviewing with so-and-so you should speak with matt he's also there and he's kind of doing some similar stuff to you i had a beer with him at a conference he's a pretty nice guy i was like oh really i I never i hadn't heard of him or anything um so i got home i looked him up and oh wow that that he had totally flown under my radar and so i sent him a message and said hey i'm gonna be out there interviewing could i also you know are you at all looking for people in your lab? I would love to a chance to meet with you, you know, while I'm out here already for this trip planned to come out to interview for a lab here. And he he said, yeah, absolutely. And I came out in the lab that I had meant that I really wanted to go to. It just didn't seem like a good fit. Um, and then this one was just awesome. There were so many amazing people in it. So encouraging, so cool. And this is the lab I'm in. And truly, if I hadn't been leaving work at the same time as Alex and happened to walk back with him, you know, we wouldn't have had that conversation. And I would, I would know who Matt is now, but I wouldn't be working with him. And I think that's where I really became a scientist in this lab. But then there are also so many things leading up to that before, you know, meeting the right person at the right time um, who encourage you to, that you're capable of more than you thought that you were. And I think that's what a really good mentor is. They really empower you to, you know, to dream bigger than what you were dreaming before you met them. And I feel there does a dozen people at least that I could think of that serve that role in my life that I would call all of those meeting those people to me felt like make or break moments of sending me, encouraging me on this path that, you know, everybody has these, you know, they always talk about imposter syndrome and everything. And it's hard not to, Get into these labs with people who are doing such great stuff, and feel like you maybe they're different than you. And you meet these mentors that really encourage you to keep at it, and that you know that everybody deserves to be here. Um, And I feel like those are these like make or break people that I meet more make or break people than make or break moments.
0: I mean, you're you've been doing this for so long. Would you say that you have helped mentor
1: anyone being out there? For this amount yeah. of time? Yeah, I it's some of the stuff I'm most proud about. Um, there have been a lot of really good students to come through. Um, you know, I can't pay it back to these older, more established mentors. The only thing you can do is do the same for, you know, people at the same stage that you were at when these people that I'm so grateful for having had in my path. Um, there are some great people. Um, Caillou, Ben, I... I those are two of the best examples of people who, you know, I bring in. You spend so much time teaching somebody, and then to see them really embrace it and go on to do bigger, better stuff is only amazing. Um, yeah, I, I'm really proud of that.
0: And just to touch on that, I mean, you said you you love doing your research now. You're probably in the job that you really wanted, but in five years, do you see yourself? Like moving on, getting maybe like heavily involved in another lab or anything like that, basically, where do you see yourself in
1: five years? Well, in a month and five days uh I'm starting my own lab at u c s f oh uh, and that that is a it's a dream to me um you know if you'd asked me six months ago you if you said what's your perfect position in five years, I would say this um this job, and it's going to be, you know, I think the demands and the expectations are going to change as, you know, right now it's like, can I staff a lab and guide some research projects? Um, You know, and thinking about this question before we met, uh, where I would love to see things go in five years, you know, trying to dream bigger is these things that I'm working on, I would love to take them to patients in the form of a clinical trial. I mean, that, that's one of the things, you know, I mentioned these pieces of biology, these enzymes as tools and a toolkit, and we're, cellular, we're doing cellular engineering, but it's all really close to the clinic. That's one thing I'm really grateful for the lab I'm in right now that, you know, Matt has been such a great mentor to me is he's, he's an MD as well, and he, he's so close to the clinic, and he's doing a clinical trial right now for sickle cell disease as part of a company that he spun off and. It's just been really great to see, you know, kind of these like longer term futuristic ideas of correcting disease causing mutations go into patients. Um, I think it's going to go into the first patient this year. Uh, And I would love to do the same sort of thing. I would love to see some of these tools that I'm now building myself, um, you know, and solving problems that I'm anticipating to go into patients. So that's what I would you know what? What would be my perfect situation? Kind of in five years, it would be to still be running this lab and to try to be doing a good job at it. But I'd love to be taking something to the clinic.
0: That's awesome! Basically, taking research to actually application because I I know that process takes like I I hear it takes a year, but to get to that year point, it's probably like what five years of documentation just so. Like, five years is like a. Minimum. Yeah. Well, I mean, for example, this is such a bad example, but uh the male contraceptive I heard about what like 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I think they're just starting like the one year FDA trials recently
1: on that. Um I, I think 10 years is more like it. You know, if I think about okay, the, uh, the, the sickle cell disease trial that my current boss is doing. I mean, he's he was working on that. He's been working on it for like 20 years. But that was also before CRISPR, these CRISPR tools arrived that really was a game changer and kind of made that his vision for the future more possible. But then just working with CRISPR, you know, he's been at that for at least eight years. So um it yeah. takes it takes. It, a it's crazy
0: time. how much technology can like step it up. It's just like we've got these tools now, by the way, so we don't need to waste, I don't know, like Twenty man hours a week doing this, this said task. So it kind of speeds up everything research-wise, which I think is amazing. Just because, like you said, it's all about the pipettes And when you said that, I was thinking like, is there a way that they can kind of use like a not a not a robot specifically, but maybe like a CNC um, type um, I don't know, like program to actually like.
1: Do you guys use that now, or am I? Uh, You're exactly right for how things are going. Um, Okay. There there are now pipetting robots that, they're kind of rare. I mean, uh, they kind of trickle Mm -hmm. in, I guess, now. Every now and then you'll see one. I don't know how to operate them. I would love to learn, because I think this, as As we progress, you know, how how is the future of what I'm doing right now going to look? And I think it's going to be much larger scale and, you know, this large scale screening of a lot of different things all at once in a way that's kind of impossible. If you have just a student or a couple of students with hands physically on the pipettes, Um, it needs to be a lot more precise if you scale up a lot. And I think the only way to scale up is, you know, through technology like that. And so that's definitely where things are going.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, as you know, basically, you can 3D print anything now. Mm. Um, yeah, because, I mean, as you know, basically, you can 3D print anything now. Um, I won't even get into that right now. So we'll get to my, my last and favorite question. What is something that your parents did that you would like to pass on to your children? And what
1: is something that you're trying to avoid? Yeah, Um I think the thing I mentioned before, just that no pressure. uh, The only pressure is to value education and pursue interests, Mm -hmm. but not you will be this because it's what we expect of you. I feel really, you know, I'm sure all of my brothers can speak to how grateful we are that our parents didn't put that sort of pressure on us of what we had to be. You know, we were guided by their interests. You know, my mom teaching biology and chemistry, my dad is a vet, you know, being close you know, so close to biology then and medicine um kind of guided all of us at this point now that we look to see where everybody's landed for careers, so we kind of you know you become what you were going to be you know anyway um but it's nice to feel like we had agency in the decision and not feel like we found these careers because it was what was expected of us, so I really love you know i I loved having that kind of free form. Uh, nature of how we were brought up also had such a fun childhood it was not this pressure to study all the time and and do you know all these extracurriculars because we're checking these boxes as you know future applicants or something we just had a lot of fun as kids and i think i i mean i played a lot of video games too and wasted a ton of time watching tv movies and video games but and then i grew out of a lot of that like I remember I got to college and it just video games just didn't seem as fun anymore. And you kind of grow out of those things. But I, as a teenager, all I wanted to do was play Final Fantasy and Zelda, and it was really great while it lasted. And so to just have that sort of freedom, you know, to you're just running around outside and, you know, throwing basketballs at the younger brothers, um, And so, just I I love kind of the almost wild childhood, an interesting childhood too. I would love to gift, you know, a child that, you know, growing up on a cattle farm was such an interesting childhood. It gives you a really different perspective, I think. Um, And so, I love all of those things. I think the value of hard work. I mean, my dad's one of the hardest working people I've ever seen. Um, And it's a sense of, I think, another thing that he had said that I would love to pass on is he felt a real sense of duty to give his profession 50 years is what he said. And when he first said that, I never, I'd never really heard that perspective before because I think my generation uh, is you know, more individualistic. It's like, follow your heart, do what makes you happy. Um, and I think that sense of duty to do something that's useful is a really great philosophy it's really fulfilling i think if you find something that you feel like is important i feel like doing something that you feel like is important is better than doing in the short term what makes you feel happy uh, i think it's more long term you know it, it's something that it, it just can be more rewarding in the long run then than maybe chasing this fleeting feeling of happiness or something so and then yeah, the, there's so many things that I think my parents did exactly the way that I would, I, I hope that I could do something even close to as well as they did. Um, I think in terms of difference, I think it just will have to be different based on, you know, I'm I'll be starting this lab living in San Francisco. I mean, you know, unlike so many other jobs that like you now can do remotely biology is still until we have all these computers these these rope pipetting robots that we just type in their commands to them it still has to be like in person you know physically there and i think also for collaborations and stuff there's something lost when it's not in person and so i'm going to be located there and in terms of raising a kid in in a city it's going to be so it will be so different in both good and bad ways you know this exposure to World culture and art, and you know, every and travel and everything. It will be composting. What's that? Oh, comp- oh yeah. composting. Composting. Uh, hydroponics, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it might just have. It will have to be different, and I'll have to adapt to those differences. But I, I just feel very grateful for the way that me and my brothers were raised. Um, And so I'm just going to try to channel a lot of that. Yeah. You just,
0: like you said, you got to channel it in the city now. I think so. So it sounds like you're going to stay in the city then too.
1: This is, this is my dream job. Absolute dream job. I feel like it's the perfect scenario. You know, if I want to take things to patients, to clinic, like this is, this is the place where I feel very supported to do that. I'm surrounded by people who have done that. I've got great mentors. I, if I can do a good enough job at it to merit them keeping me running a lab there, that's to me that's what I want to do. And so it's kind of the be all end all in terms of how I see my career. I feel like I can do anything from from this uh from this position if it really feels like. And so. I think kind of adapting other parts of my life to fit that. That I really am trying to make a priority.
0: I like it. I like the response. It's well thought out. Um, and then
1: the best part. What do, What do you want to plug? So you know, I don't have social media or like a you know anything personally that I'm trying to sell. Other than the concept that I think it's a great time to be a biologist. I think the frontiers are really easy to find. It's really Easy to find the edge of what we know right now. And it's really also easy to imagine where it goes from here for a lot of these tools. You know, DNA is computer code. I think there's so much we can do with that. Thinking about cells, we know so much about them that we can it we start applying engineering, you know, what used to be computer science and engineering principles now to biological systems because we have that much knowledge and now that much control over it. And so, you know, after the pandemic, I think there were areas that were winners and losers, Um, you know, entire industries that won and lost, you know, following the pandemic. And now in this kind of post pandemic world, that's, you know, technology really, we're conducting this over zoom, that's pretty seamless. Um, And, you know, they made a vaccine, you know, from genome sequence of the virus to having a proof of concept drug in two days, biotech as an industry i think flexed its muscles a lot because we now have so many tools i think it's a great time to be in this space uh the, there's a there's a saying and i think this is the last thing i'll say about it but just to really drive the point home is that i think fields wax and wane in terms of how dynamic they are at different times there was um this physicist who said that in physics it was such a golden age in the 1920s that b-grade physicists could do a-grade work and now now a-grade physicists do b-grade work not that there aren't amazing spaces in physics in general quantum computing and things but i think the entire field in general it's in kind of one of those waning uh phases and i really think that biologists we need hands on deck we need good people to fill these really great careers, it can be really intellectually satisfying these pursuits and it's only gonna get cooler. There's every, literally every five years, there's the technology that sweeps through biology that changes everything. Like it's hard for kids now to understand how, what came before CRISPR and that was only in 2014. It's it's ridiculous how fast things are moving and to think that they're, we're not gonna have many, many more instances of these complete paradigm shifters. Um, it it's just a great space to be in. And so I'm going to plug it for younger people who are trying to consider what you want to do. I didn't love biology in school. Honestly, I liked history and I liked other subjects more, but I think with that eye of practicality of what's what will be a good career that I will like. What, you know, what's this what's an area that has good careers and will be a, a place that would actually be hiring new college grads when I'm a graduate, um, I feel really fortunate that I'd, I kind of, I factored that into my choice. And so if I can be influential at all for anybody who's trying to think about what they want to do, biology is a great place to so give it a chance.
0: <laughs> okay, I like it. Because um, I'm always, like I said before, I'm always plugging STEM because I mean, I think, I think if anyone knows how to code, that kind of opens. I don't know data analytics for anything that you're trying to push. Biology, engineering, even art. I mean, I, I'm not so pro on these AI. Uh, have you seen these AI uh, art like installations? where I don't know about those. I don't know if you're pro those, but I I just think
1: I don't know. It, it's it's definitely interesting, and it makes me wonder. I mean, in the future, will all of our art be created by computers? Um, I don't know. At some point, they might become better at, than we are at doing it. Um, right now, they're That's kind true. of they're kind of predictable and not very impressive. But you know, not it, it Everything an, that starts up
0: is like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see where it goes. It's. It, yeah. I'm not a fan of anything I've seen, but I'm interested to see where it goes from here. Yeah. Makes
0: sense. Well, thank you very much, sir, for joining me. I know, I know your your time is valuable just as mine. So I'm glad you let me
1: uh, share some with you. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for being interested and in letting me plug the things that I wanted to plug and just tell a little bit about my story. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thank you.
0: If you liked this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.